This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. It's time now to put the spotlight on China. So, Barty, as, as we're speaking, we've got Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi. He's in Singapore for a two-day working visit, and I believe that started yesterday. And he's, of course, met with Deputy Prime Minister Heng Sui Kiet and Foreign Affairs Minister Vivian Balakrishnan. The question is, how will this visit possibly strengthen even further Singapore-China ties? They're pretty good already. Yeah. What is the scope for all of this to improve? Yeah, speaking of relationships, it looks like China is trying to build a serious relationship with Afghanistan. And this is after China pledged 200 million yuan worth of aid. We're talking food supplies and COVID-19 vaccines as well. Mm. But are China's ambitions to dive into this country uh, perhaps unrealistic or overstated? Or are they seeing something that many others are not seeing? Yeah, good question. Well, let's find out more. We've got Dr. O. A. Sun, Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs, on the line with us. Dr. O, good morning. How are you? A very good morning to all of you. I've been busy as usual. <laughs> yes, yes. Lots uh, in the news to talk about. I suppose let's start off uh, with something close to home. China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi speaking with Deputy Prime Minister Heng Sui Kiet and Foreign Affairs Minister Vivian Balakrishnan in separate sessions yesterday. Uh, what's China trying to achieve with uh, Mr. Wang's visit to Singapore? I mean, what's on the cards here where our relationship is concerned? Well, from the press releases, you would see that they talk about all these improvements to bilateral relationships, strengthening the the joint council on bilateral collaborations and so on. But of course, you know, Wang Yi came about, let's say, less than a month after the U.S. uh, Vice President Kamala Harris visit to Southeast Asia. So one would be very tempted to say it is, in a sense, trying to neutralize or counter the, the U.S. relationship mm. uh, with some countries in Southeast Asia. Notice, for example, Wang Yi uh, is also visiting both Singapore and Vietnam. Those were the two stops made by Cameron Harris as well. For me, I think the salient point is, I think it was the Deputy Prime Minister or Foreign Minister saying, you know, Singapore welcomed Chinese uh, participation in this uh, CPTPP, which is, you know, like a successor to the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership Agreement. Yeah. So, yeah, I think economics will be still front and center. Yeah. Professor, we earlier alluded to China's overtures to Afghanistan. It's pledged 200 million yuan worth of aid, including food supplies and coronavirus vaccines. Uh, This aid is coming as Beijing said it was ready to maintain communication with the Taliban government. Some experts have been openly saying that China's ambitions to dive into Afghanistan are overstated and unrealistic. Give us your thoughts on this, though. Put it in perspective for us, because clearly there are geopolitical payoffs here for China. Otherwise, it wouldn't be doing this, right? Yeah, of, of course. Uh, China would like to portray itself as sort of a neutral, humanitarian-oriented uh, partner at these times of difficulties, both for the Taliban as well as for the Afghan people uh, as a whole. Because I think UN has said uh, Afghan, the population is at the verge of massive uh, hunger. So on the other hand, of course, uh, China has at least, uh, shall we say, three 
uh, interrelated perspective uh, when it comes to Afghanistan. Number one, of course, uh, it would not like uh, what is happening in Afghanistan to spill over to its uh, already quite uh, so-called restive uh, Xinjiang region. Number two, of course, China has this uh, Belt and Road Initiative. We often focus on the so-called Maritime Silk Road part because we are part of it. But also there's the continental component, uh, the so-called 21st uh, century uh, economic uh, development belt and so on. So and Afghanistan would be indeed a corridor to connect uh, China to uh, further towards uh, Central Asia as well as uh, Eastern Europe. And of course, but are these forget, are these expectations yeah. of China? Are China's expectations unrealistic? I mean, what will a Taliban-controlled Afghanistan really mean for China moving forward? Will the overtures work? I think so far it has worked because the spokesperson for Afghanistan has openly praised China. And, uh, of course, Afghanistan also has a substantial amount of mineral reserves. And then, you know, China is very good at developing all these infrastructures and so on. Afghanistan is a story uh, needing in uh, this part of its uh, development. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. We're on the line this morning with Dr. O. A. Sun, Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs. Dr. O, next one is a pretty interesting issue. You wonder what's going through Jack Ma's head because according to a report by the Financial Times, Beijing is planning to break up Alipay. That, of course, is the payments app owned by billionaire Jack Ma's Ant Group. They want to create some kind of a separate app for the company's highly profitable loans business as uh, section. Now, if this goes through... What's going to happen to to Ant Group? I mean, can we expect perhaps a state-backed firms to take a sizable stake in the credit scoring joint venture? Well, at least current business will have to be uh, split up uh, a little bit. You know, uh, some of us will have the expectation that uh, Alipay is similar to, let's say, GrabPay you know, <laughs> in this part of the world. You top up and then you pay using yeah. GrabPay, right? Yeah. But Alipay is slightly more than that. It could also lend you money. That be a yes. small amount. You know, it, it, uh, so I think the Chinese authorities, they are particularly sensitive about the lending money part because you know, in, in previous times, there have been collapses of mm. some of these money lenders and, and so on. So that's why they want Alipay to sort of separate its uh, loan part from its uh, normal the electronic payment part. And I think uh, not only Alipay, other players such as Tencent and so on would have to also look out because I think the authorities will be coming to them very, very soon as well. Yeah. Now, something else that's been making the headlines, Dr. O, China Evergrande Group. It is said that it might undergo one of the country's biggest ever debt restructurings if its distressed level bond prices are any indication. How could Evergrande's debt delinquency play out here? Best and worst case scenarios, in your opinion? Well, the worst case scenario will be an outright uh, some sort of bankruptcy uh, filing, right? Then you have really what they call systemic detrimental effect, not only on the stock market because it's a public listed company, but also on you know what is going to happen to all those house buyers who have put down their, for example, down payment for uh, Evergrande's property developments and so on. 
So I think the Chinese government, I think, is looking forward to some sort of rescue packages with certain, uh, for example, state-owned companies taking over certain stakes in China Evergrande in return for uh, some of its debts, for example, would have to take a so-called haircut, namely those who have, uh, those banks, for example, which are landed uh, to uh, China Evergrande, they might not get their full payments back. They might get only half or some, even say only one quarter of what they loan to China Evergrande. Yeah. Let's talk about the potential domino effect here because the Asian financial crisis started with the collapse of a South Korean steel maker. What risks is Asia facing from the situation at Evergrande? What is the extent, the possible extent of the domino effect? Well, we are talking at this point about at least 1.5 million house buyers who have put down some sort of down payment on China Evergrande. If they were going to you know, lose their, uh, their money, there will not be only financial implications, but also uh, implications of social stability. So, of course, they'll be up in arms, right? So, and if in China you have this sort of financial instability as the world's second largest economy, you could only imagine how it would propagate to the rest of the world, not the least in our parts of the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dr. O, final question. Uh, let's do this uh, real quickly. It's about how Japan's defense ministry said over the weekend that a submarine believed to be from China was spotted in the waters near its southern islands. Uh, maritime tensions, of course, still persisting in the Pacific. Should we continue to watch this space, especially when you consider that Japan is going to have a new leader soon, uh, a new prime minister soon? What should we be watching out here? Well, China and Japan is actually at a very friendly phase uh, nowadays. But of course, I think there are several motivations uh, at at play uh, here. Number one is, of course, testing the water because, as you said, there is going to be an incoming Japanese prime minister Mm -hmm. and uh, China would like to see how the latest Japanese response to that. Number two, it's also so-called to try very carefully to break the so-called first island chain what China perceives as the U.S. and Japan trying to encircle uh, China. And, of course, also it's uh, in response to, uh, I think, Japan's uh, upgrading of its uh, military cooperation with, with the U.S. Uh, very recently here. We've been speaking with Dr. O. A. Sun, Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs. As always, we appreciate your help, Dr. O. Take care and stay safe, yeah? Thank you. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.